Uh, good to see you this morning. Hope you're doing well. Uh, happy fall. And uh, Romans 12 is where we're going to be getting started this morning. So if you have a Bible with you or if you'd like to use one of ours, there should be one in a, a seat underneath you or underneath the chair in front of you. Feel free to grab that. And uh, we'll turn to Romans 12. Uh, if you're new to church, new to the concept of Christianity and the Bible, uh, the Bible is a beautifully written story uh, from God who, uh, who writes his story in 66 different books uh, among, through 40-plus authors on multiple continents to write to us this beautiful uh, story we have in the Bible. And so anytime we open it, we're just opening it to a small scene in the Bible. And so the last... Gosh, the last seven, eight weeks we've been in the book of Romans, which was originally among these letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church. And so we're doing that for the whole year. We're going through these letters that were written to the first century church. And now today we're going to wrap up Romans uh, in chapter 12. And I know it's not the end of Romans. Romans has 16 chapters. Uh, but so, uh, so much has already been uh, expressed in the first 11 chapters as Paul walks through um, fairly thick theology, deep understandings of who we are in Christ and what Christ has done on our behalf and how all this works together in the big story. Now in chapter 12, what Paul does is takes a significant turn in the letter and begins writing about life application of all that he's taught in 11 chapters. So Paul begins in the first three chapters explaining how God revealed his character and his power through what has been created. That when you look at the created universe, you can see who God is. But as we get to chapter 3, what we realize is that even though God is seen in what is created, that the universe alone, just seeing God in the universe, isn't enough to fix the human problem. We need a rescuer. We need somebody to come and to rescue us, to die on our behalf, and that is Jesus. And so uh, chapters 3 and 4 into 5 explain Jesus coming because he loves us to take our place on the cross. And then at the end of chapter 5, Paul talks about how the grace of God abounds, that even where sin uh, abounds in our world, the grace of God abounds even more. And so chapter 6 begins with Paul asking the question, well, then what are we going to say to this? Why don't we just go on doing whatever we want, sinning however we want? I mean, if God's grace is really that rich, and then Paul makes a very passionate plea in 6, and even a personal plea in 7 to say, no, 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 no. Even though much has been forgiven, we should struggle well as those who truly believe that we've been forgiven. Chapter 8 was a beautiful chapter. I expressed one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible where Paul talks about the security we have in Christ, that God calls us sons and daughters. He adopts us into his family. We aren't simply added to the role of heaven. We're not just invited in as, you know, as lowly subjects into his kingdom. And we're adopted in as sons and daughters, and he secures us there. And nothing can separate us from that love. Verse 9, uh, Paul talks about the redemptive plan of God and how Israel in the Old Testament is part of that redemptive plan. Last week we were in chapter 10 looking at the beautiful, the beautiful simplicity of our salvation and understanding faith a little bit more deeply, that faith begins with what we believe, but if it's something that we truly believe, we can't help but confess it. And so it's those who confess that Jesus is Lord and believed in his heart that God raised him from the dead that will actually be saved and so now what we're going to do is we're going to go to chapter 12, and in two verses, one and two, we're going to see this beautiful summary of how to apply all that we've been taught so far through Romans, how to take these theological concepts and play them out on the ground in real life. So we'll start by reading verses one and two in chapter 12. Paul begins, 
with these words, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now we're going to end with the will of God. I'll say this among the questions I get asked as a pastor and as a counselor uh, is, how do I know what the will of God is? Very common question for Christ's followers. I want to know what God's will is for my life as I struggle to make decisions. I think one of the problems that we have with coming to a place where we're confident in the will of God in our lives is, is something that I've noticed in my own life and I see it in others as well. We don't typically ask that question when things are going well. Typically, when a person asks the question, what is the will of God for my life? Either one, they're in a very frustrating point in their lives, just lost a job or this job is going nowhere. I don't like my current job. I don't like the situation in my life. Or two, they're bored. It's not that I don't like it. I'm just, just kind of, my, my brain needs more going on. So now I'm going to start thinking about what the will of God is for my life in addition to everything else that's going well in my life. Um, so here's the problem with that premise for asking what is the will of God is this is what we tend to do then is say God I want to know what your will is so I can see all my options now nobody has ever said that to me I've never come to God and said those words but but oftentimes that's what we're doing I know what I know what this career path looks like I know what this trajectory looks like God I also can I can I know what your will is too so that I might make a more informed decision of where I want to go Rather than coming to God fully surrendered before we ever know what his will is, say, God, I want to know your will so I know what to do. Not what I can do, but what you desire for me. We're going to land there today as we walk through verses 1 and 2. Paul begins with a really strong urging. I appeal, some translations say, I urge you, therefore, brothers. This word, brothers, is, is literally translates into brothers and sisters. Okay, so, so ladies, don't think that we're just talking to men. Uh, this, these are the ones who are called the sons and daughters of God in chapter 8. Paul is appealing to us. And it's a strong urging, a sense of calling to attention. He's calling us to the edge of our seats. Please pay attention to what I'm about to say. And he says this, so I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. So the therefore means chapters 1 through 11. Therefore, here's my appeal to you. By the mercies of God to present your bodies. I'm going to take a minute to walk through that phrase. Now, the, the idea of the mercies of God, um, I think the, probably uh, the weakest translation of this comes in maybe the NIV in view of God's mercy. Not wrong. It's just kind of a weak version of what's being expressed here. So it means that plus some. So first thing Paul is saying is in view of God's mercy, what does he mean? In view of chapters 1 through 11, right, is... Paul has blown up the mercy of God as this amazing thing that begins with how impossible it is to be right with God and ends with we've been made right with God in such a secure way that God calls us sons and daughters, this beautiful umbrella of God's mercy. In view of that, therefore, present your bodies. But it, but it means more than just in view of. It also means by and through. That whatever he's about to say will be fueled by God's mercy. So it's not simply that just because God has shown us mercy, we go do these things. But 
as we go, we do it fueled by, drenched in, never leaving the mercies of God. That's so important for us in Christ. We were talking in life group yesterday about the difference between working for your salvation and working out of your salvation. Working for God so that he will accept you versus working for God because you've already been accepted. Okay? That's what it means to be fueled by mercy because God has already extended you mercy. You therefore strive for these things. By the mercies of God to present your bodies. Now, we'll take some time in a minute to look at this understanding of present. In chapter 6 a few weeks ago, we looked at this where Paul told us to no longer present ourselves as slaves to sin, but instead present ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. We'll look at that again in just a minute, but it's the same word here, the same idea of willful obedience or willful slavery, willful submission. I was thinking this week, it's the idea similar to when you sign up to maybe join the army. You willfully submit yourself. You show up and say, here, take me. I'm willing to submit myself unto you. So that's the idea of presenting. Uh, The the, the word here, bodies, uh, more than likely fully implies everything that we are, okay? not just our physical bodies, but the idea that all that we have, all that we are would be presented to God in the way that he's about to describe. But before we get on to the meat of what we're supposed to do, stop for just a moment if you're taking notes, my new life in Christ is fueled by God's mercy. My new life in Christ is fueled by God's mercy, That every effort of my life to please God, every effort of my life to be obedient to God comes out of, is fueled by how good God has been to me. He's been so good to me, I can't just sit here. His mercy is so rich and his forgiveness has gone so deep into who I am, I can't just sit here and not say something. I'm compelled by God's mercy to do. My new life in Christ is fueled by God's mercy. Now, the first thing he mentions here as he moves through the rest, the next part of verse one, he says, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. It's a very, very interesting wording here. If we're not careful, we'll read it in English and we'll attach the word living to sacrifice and then holy and acceptable as two different concepts. Living, holy, and acceptable are all adjectives describing the sacrifice that we are to be unto God. Okay, so the first thing he says is a living sacrifice. So what does it mean to be a living sacrifice then? To present our bodies, all of who we are, as a living sacrifice to God. I'm glad he said living. Without the word living here, just the concept of sacrifice is from the Old Testament. This is where year after year... The people of God would gather in Jerusalem. The priest would go in and offer up an animal, right? They would slay an animal on the altar on behalf of the sins of the people. So the idea of sacrifice implies death, right? Implies a surrendering of. What he's saying here is there's something about the way that animals were sacrificed that I want you to pay attention to, but I want you to offer yourselves as living sacrifices. That's different. So in the same way that that animals were presented with no strings attached, there's one way that animals were offered to God, offered with no strings attached, no agenda attached, God, you do with this sacrifice as you will, that's the part we're supposed to pay attention to here, so we do that now in the way that we live, living versions of that, 
living sacrifices. We live in such a way that our lives are presented to God to do with as he pleases. In Romans 6, as I mentioned earlier, just a couple of verses from Romans 6. Feel free to turn back there, chapter 6, just 11 through 13. I'm, I'm reminded of these words from Paul when he explains this living sacrifice concept. He says this, verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's an idea of being a living sacrifice. I'm walking with the understanding, the knowledge, the faith, and the belief that I am now dead to my life in sin. Who I used to be has been crucified. It's not who I am anymore. I'm, I'm dead in that regard. Now I'm alive with this new life now unto Christ. A living sacrifice. Look at verse 12. He says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members, there's the idea of bodies, again, from chapter 12, your members to sin as, I want to focus in on this word, instruments. It's a really important word. So rather than presenting, this is still in Romans 6, your body, all of who you are, your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, instead, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God, your body to God, all that you are to God as instruments for righteousness. This word instrument is, is probably better translated weapon. These were the instruments and tools used for warfare. That's what that word is. That's how it's used in the Greek language. This understanding that you and I then are to be literally instruments to be wielded in the hands of an almighty God. That we come present ourselves to God, lay ourselves down and say, go oh God, use me if you will. Not according to my agenda, but according to your will, use me, O oh God. I think it, it, could, it could also uh, give us the imagery maybe of, of, uh, of like a mechanic shop, if you will. If you think of instruments as tools, I don't know how many of you work on cars, uh, but it never fails. You get halfway into an engine or halfway into a project and you realize you've got the wrong size socket and you've got to get out and go get it. The idea is that the tools are there presenting themselves to you as the master mechanic saying, use me if you will. I'm here if you, I'm here if you need me. I'm not assuming you need me. I'm not assuming I have anything to offer, but if you need me, I don't want you to have to go find me. I want to be here for you to use. That's the idea Paul is getting to here when he says, present yourselves, your lives, to God as instruments. Here I am, God, use me. I've got a, a quote I want to read to you um, from David Platt. Uh, David Platt is the former uh, lead pastor at the Church of Brook Hills in Birmingham, Alabama. He's just recently taken the appointment of president of the International Mission Board. And, uh, and so David Platt's also the author of the book Radical. I think some of you have read that. Um, in his uh, statement to his church, uh, explaining his resignation, how he's going to move over, he reminded them of how he has encouraged them to live as sacrifices to God, to be used by God, however they will. And now he's, now he's realizing that he's, God wants to use him. And so here's a quote from that um, moment where he's expressing his resignation. He says this about presenting your life as a blank check. He says this, a blank check, our lives, our families, our church on the table, no strings attached. God, 
whatever you want to do, wherever you want to lead us, wherever you want us to go, what, whatever you want us to give, God, spend us. It's a beautiful expression of what Paul is getting at here, that we would present ourselves as blank checks before God. God, I'm not assuming you need me for anything. I'm not assuming that your kingdom is contingent on me in any way. However, I've signed the bottom of the check of my life, and I'm laying it before you as a living sacrifice. God, spend me however you will. It's a beautiful expression of our understanding of what it means to live, to be a living sacrifice's A living sacrifice. If you're taking notes, um, God's mercy in my life compels me to present my life as a blank check before God to be spent according to his will. To present myself, my life, all that I am as a blank check before God to be spent according to his will. It's... It's kind of a, um, an upside-down paradox in our culture to think that you could actually find your true identity in laying yourself down. In a culture that would say to us, no, you only find your identity by taking yourself up, by being the best you you can be, by figuring out who you are according to what you want in life. Yet the gospel comes to us and says you will find no meaning in life at all. You'll be on a fool's errand by trying to define and determine your own destiny, define and determine your own identity, you'll find your identity when you learn to lay your life down before a holy God and say, God, use me as you will. Well, the next thing that he says is a holy sacrifice, a living sacrifice and a holy sacrifice. Now, there's something interesting about the word holy here in the way it gets translated in uh, the book of Romans. Paul's used this word a lot in the letter. So a few ways that the word gets translated. Uh, in Romans 1-2, he translates, he uses this word to talk about the scriptures, holy scriptures, okay, meaning the word of God, the holy scriptures. In chapter 7, he uses it to talk about the law, God's law that we find in the scriptures, God's holy law, And then in multiple occasions, I wrote down six of them. Paul uses it to refer to the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. It's the same word here, used to describe our lives as holy sacrifices. But there's another way that it gets used more times than any other in this letter, and it translates into the word saints. From chapter 1, verse 7, as Paul writes this letter, he opens and says, This letter is written to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. It's the same word that translates into holy scriptures, Holy Spirit. Now he's calling us, the people of God, holy saints. And what ultimately Paul is calling us to as he walks through chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 to show us how God through the sending his son to the cross, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, have accomplished for us holiness. The only way we can attain holiness as people is through the cross. But that if we approach the cross in faith, we must believe it is as good as done. So if you have been covered by the blood of Christ, if your sins have been forgiven, it's all or nothing. Okay, there are no fixer-uppers, if you will, in God's kingdom. It's all or nothing. 
that you and I, by faith, walk as those who have been made holy already, saints to the Most High God. Now, that looks different from my Monday or my Wednesdays or my Fridays. We've talked about that in here before, right? That looks different sometimes from the way I'm living my life. It doesn't always look like I'm a saint. What is Paul getting at here? Live your life according to who you already are in Christ. If you truly believe that, now let's live out of that. The difference between working for your salvation and working out of your salvation. Because this is who you are now. You're no longer lost. You're no longer blind. You're no longer wandering around trying to figure out what to do with your sin problem. It's all been taken care of. Now live that way. Parents, it's how oftentimes we want our kids to live. Hopefully that's the heart of our discipline. Not to modify behavior, but to teach our children who they are. And God says to us through this word, live as a holy sacrifice. Live as you already are in Christ. God's mercy in my life, if you're taking notes, compels me to see myself as a saint before God. A saint before God based on what Jesus has done for me, not what I can do for him. That should change things for us when we truly believe that the holy, almighty God of the universe comes to you and says, here's here's the stamp of your life, holy. Whoa, 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 I'm not fit to wear, take that off. God says, you're right, you're not fit to wear that. Just like the prodigal son who returned home to the father, what did he do? Put a signet ring on his hand, wrapped him in fine linens and said, you're mine. God says to us in the same way, you don't deserve it. You're right. You've been like the prodigal. But it's my decision. I'm the almighty God of the universe, and this is who I call you, holy and accepted. That should change things for us on Monday and Wednesday and Friday. Well, the next thing he says is this, that we should present our bodies, all that we are, as acceptable sacrifices to God. Now, what's going to happen here, I hope, through these two verses, as we saw last week, this beautiful connection between what we believe and what we confess, we're also going to see that under the umbrella of faith is what we believe, what we confess, and what we do with our lives. That what we truly believe will begin to change what comes out of our mouth and out of our actions and out of our lives. And so he says, an acceptable sacrifice. There are two concepts that I've found in the New Testament that lead to God accepting us or being pleased with us. Um, Later on in this same letter in Romans 14, in a chapter about um, laying your own rights down for the sake of your weaker brother or sister, this is chapter 14 of Romans, Paul brings this up in verse 18. He says, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So there's one way that we please God or accepted by God as we serve Christ. Now, if that's the only way we're accepted by God, there's a problem there. Right? There's a problem. When we look at the report card of just this last week, how well we served Christ, and if, if it's based on that alone, whether or not God accepts me, I'm in trouble. Right? I mean, if I could just show you a, an 18-minute snapshot from Tuesday, I'm good. Right? But the vast majority of my week, you're going to see struggle. 
You're going to see somebody who loves Christ, believes in Christ, but yet is still struggling to surrender, to follow obediently. And so serving Christ is one way that we're accepted. But Hebrews chapter 11 shows us a better way. In Hebrews chapter 11, again, we referred to this last week. I'm going to bring up Enoch from way back in Genesis. Enoch walked with God and then he was no more. We don't know for sure what that looked like or what happened. But what it seems to express is that Enoch did not taste death the way we will taste death. Because Enoch walked with the Lord, God just took him. That's, that's amazing. I, I want, I want, I'd love to go that way. So Hebrews 11 describes Enoch and says that by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. So his friends looked around and said, has anybody seen Enoch? Nope, not a trace. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. This is the focus here. So Enoch, we look at him as an example. How did he please God? That's what we're getting at here. How do I live in a way that I could please God? Verse 6 says, thinking of Enoch, and without faith, it is impossible to please him, being God, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith expressed in actions. Enoch pleased the Lord. Why? Because he was good morally? No. Was there morality visible in his life? Yes. What pleased God with Enoch? Enoch believed God. Without faith, without belief, it is impossible to to please God. And so what we're looking at here is not just serving God to make him happy, to make him happy, but because we truly believe this faith is alive in us, it compels us to serve. That pleases God. When he looks at our lives and sees a belief that is so alive and vibrant that it that it begins to flow out of us and we can't help but serve Christ. God's mercy in my life compels me to live a life of obedience by faith. Obedience without faith will get you nowhere with God. Nowhere. Obedience without faith will get you nowhere. Obedience without faith is performance-based. It's trying to earn God's favor by doing. Obedience by faith is fueled by faith, is saying, because I believe this is true, because what I believe about the cross has so changed me, like I can't help but not go, right? I, I can't help keep these things to myself. I can't help but go and serve and and, and, and serve the church and serve the kingdom and go on mission and, and do all these things that, that God compels me to go and do. Obedience fueled by faith. Think about that. If I'm going to choose to be obedient to God, I can choose to do that on my own strength or I can choose to do that by faith. For example, God gives me an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. An opportunity, I'm, I'm with somebody who isn't a believer, and, I'm, and, and I realize the opportunity's been presented. We've got time. This person's engaged in conversation. Let's go there, okay? I can do that on two different motives. One would be, I know that this makes God happy, and God's going to really, really be, pat me on the back when I leave here if I can find a way to share the gospel. That's one motive. The other motive would be, you know what? I believe it. And it has so changed me that I can't help but share this with this person. 
See, one is driven by performance. The other one is driven by faith. Because you believe it. And you believe it to be true at a level that it compels you. See, that's the connection between faith and works, according to James. Faith that's alive. It's growing. It's moving. What does James say the other faith is? Faith that's dead. Faith without works is dead. It's just belief. The demons believe like that. What we're looking for is a faith that is alive, growing, compelling you forward to serve Christ. It's an obedience by faith. Now, Paul is going to continue tying these things to concept, these concepts together with the rest of verse 1. He says, which is your spiritual worship? Spiritual act of worship, spiritual worship. Now, in Christianity, we tend to talk about two different categories of worship. One is what we sing, and the other one is how we live our lives. We say a lifestyle of worship, and the other one is more of like praise when I'm singing songs. Here, Paul is going to, I think, pull these things together, especially when we look at Hebrews 13 uh, and how Hebrews 13 teaches us about worship and what worship truly is for our lives. And so are we talking about the songs we sing? Or are we talking about the sacrifices we make and the way we live our life? In Hebrews 13, starting in verse 15, the author says this, through him, this is through Christ, then let us continually offer up, this wording should sound familiar, offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. So our verbal praise, okay, is the fruit of the lip. It could be a song that we're singing, Hopefully, that's an expression, right, of our faith as we sing, even as I share and we talk. And we share, and I, and I share either with a non-believer or a believer, and I'm just talking about what God is doing in my life and who he is and what, the beautiful promises he's made through the scriptures. I'm, what am I doing? That's the fruit of my lips. That's worship, okay? But did you notice the wording? Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Does that sound familiar? Living sacrifice, holy sacrifice, acceptable sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now in Hebrews, the author is saying that our lips confessing his name is worship. And then he goes on to look at what he says in verse 16 of Hebrews 13. Worship is in his mind. What comes out of our mouths is on his mind. Verse 16, do not neglect to do good. Oh, now we're talking about doing again, aren't we? To do good and to share what you have. Now we're talking about generosity for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You feel the connection there between Hebrews 13 and Romans 12? So it's not that there are separate categories of worship. It's this, that what we truly believe has so transformed who we are that it compels us to confess, to share, to to extend praise to God. It compels us to action, to offer our lives as a blank check before God. Use me to see ourselves as saints, holy and accepted. This is our spiritual act of worship, all of it. All of it. What God created in Genesis 1, he has redeemed in the cross. What did he say to us? I am creating you, man, in my image to reflect who I am. We were created to worship. We were created to stand and to sing. We were created to confess with our mouths. We were created to serve the almighty king and say he is good, to reflect who he is, to bear his image on the earth. 
And now in Christ, our purpose has been redeemed. See, what we do with our lives gives substance to our words. What we do with our lives, the way we serve, doing good to others, being generous with others, serving Christ, this is the substance of what we sing and what we say. So it's not enough to say, I believe, and I'm going to go about and live my life however I want to. I believe in that. James would say, whoa, 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 come back. This is in your New Testament. If you just believe like that, then then the demons believe like that, and they even shudder. I mean, at least there's some kind of physical movement here, right? Come back and let's talk for a minute. That doesn't look like faith that's alive, because the faith that is alive will compel you to confess it, to serve others, and ultimately lay your life down before God and say, Almighty God, because you're so good, because I trust you, Almighty God, use me. God's mercy in my life compels me to live a life of worship. To live as a a living sacrifice, to live as a holy sacrifice, to live as an acceptable, pleasing sacrifice unto God. Now, verse 2 is where we've made it through a whole verse together. Um, We're going to do one more verse today. This one won't be quite as lengthy, but it's equally profound and powerful. So next, Paul transitions now to some instructions for us. And the first thing he talks about is the way we think. Talks about our minds. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. Do not be conformed to this world. Conformed to what? To the pulse, to the way of thinking, to the ideologies of the current world that you live in. Was it applicable to the church in Rome in the first century? Yeah. Is it applicable to us here in West Fort Worth in the 21st century? Absolutely. Do not be any longer conformed to the pattern of thinking and ideologies of your current generation, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Some different ways I've noted here that we find um, our thinking is conformed in the patterns of the world. One is just a sense of worth. So if we look at the world, the world tells us what to do and what to look like and what to be and what careers to take if you want to have worth in our culture. Now, nobody would ever say that in a postmodern culture. Everybody is, has worth. However, if you think this way, you have more worth. And so we esteem certain things, don't we? If you think this way, we could get into like political correctness and certain ways of thinking, and, and we esteem people who essentially have let go of the idea of identity and become really identity-less in terms of not landing anywhere. So in our culture today, if you say, this is who I am, this is what I believe to be true, then you're now closed-minded, right? You now have less value to culture, society as a whole, So there's one example of how the generation we live in would say to us, if you're going to have worth, even as a Christian, you can believe that, but just don't share it with anybody. Don't impose that on anybody. All of a sudden, you're going to have less worth to the culture as a whole. Um, How about, along with that, your your intelligence? So if we just look at the generation that we live in and allow the generation, the culture we live in to define our intelligence, 
we would be told certain things. Like if you truly believe this, then you're believing something that is absurd. You're believing something that God would care enough to come to earth and put on human skin and walk and die, suffer. Like that's absurd, which is where one of our church fathers, Tertullian, would say, well, I believe because it's absurd. <laughs> like, let's don't try to remove the absurdity out of our faith so that the world would go, oh, okay, I get it now. But just know that the current generation we live in would look at faith in general, regardless of Christianity, whatever it is, and, and, and look at the faith element, the part that we believe, and go, well, that's absurd. You can't be intelligent and believe that. Really? Really? I'm not saying that I'm the most intelligent person, but very intelligent people have believed it and staked their lives upon it. But ultimately, we believe what? That the wisdom of the gospel comes from God himself. I trust that more than I trust you and what you think. Could go on and on. Appearances, beauty, ladies, come on. You've got to be frustrated with this. How the culture defines for you what is truly beautiful and what is not. Even if you see a certain size, a certain weight, ratio, all these hair color and wear the certain clothes. Once you get your figure right, then you've got to buy these clothes and right, you've got to work out at this place and you've got to do these things. And I mean, surely you're frustrated with that. You see, what Paul is saying here is do not be conformed to the way the world thinks. That's not who you are. Don't allow the world to define who you are. It's not who you are. You are holy and accepted as a daughter of the Most High God, ladies. It's who you are. Don't surrender yourself. Don't present yourself to the ideologies of this current generation. Because as soon as you think you've hit the mark, should you? Guess what? The mark changes. Oh, that's not in style anymore. That's not what we're after anymore. We've got to change and adapt and go here. Now you've got to be on this diet and look this way. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world the way the pattern of this world thinks, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. The word renewal here, twofold. One, it's the idea of renovation, okay? Um, but it's also the idea of restoration. Both imply gaining something back that has been lost, right? You don't remodel something that's new. You don't renovate something that's brand new. So the work that Christ is doing in us is renovative and restorative. It's restoring in us what has been lost because we conformed to the patterns of the world at one point. And so now we live by faith, believing that that person is dead. Now I'm alive in Christ. God, renew and restore the patterns of the way I think about things. The promise is beautiful here that, that Paul makes now. The rest of verse two. So doing this, right? That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You want to know what the will of God is for your life? I can go ahead and answer on some accounts because the Bible has answered that you be conformed to the image of Christ, that you reflect his glory in everywhere you go on earth. You present yourself as a living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, an acceptable sacrifice unto God. This is God's will for your life. More specific than that, start there. And then what Paul is saying is then you'll be able to test, discern, see, and embrace the will of God. So we don't come to God and say, God, show me your will among all the options so I can decide if I want to do it. We say, God, I'm surrendered, blank check, before you ever reveal it to me. I'm here to be used 
by you. But what if God sends me to live in Africa in a hut? You'll find more joy in this temporary life, if that's God's will for you, to be in Africa living in a hut. But I've been working so hard at such and such in this career and attaining this thing. And, and so when we present ourselves as a blank check, we say to God, God, I'm here to, to be used by you, believing that I'll find more joy knowing that I'm in your will than I ever found chasing my own dreams. Blank check. Spend me how you will. I've got 70, 90, much more than that. I mean, maybe 100 years here on earth, God. Compared to eternity, it's just, it's just one check. Spend it, God, however you will. God's mercy in my life renovates and restores the way I think in order to know and to follow the will of God. To know and to follow it. See, just to know it's not enough. There's this heart desire to follow it. It's both and. I'll just use a few examples even around here. Um, we have two different ways you can serve here at Solid Rock in terms of like formally within the organization. One is internally, serving on teams, serving as life group leaders. And there are people in our church who have confessed to me, I sense that God is calling me to serve, maybe even more specific than that, to, to step up and to be trained as a life group leader, to serve on a team. Some have just said, I don't know where, but I know God's calling me to serve. Okay, so we know that. What's the next step? Okay, God, how do you want to use me? And there's, an, there's another group of us, because there's another way we serve here, and that's where we go outside these walls. We do things like Christmas Store in Flint, Michigan, and Philippines. And, man, God is, this, the first part of this year, there was a lot of stirring of hearts here in our church. Uh, almost every week for a good two-month span, somebody was coming up to me and saying, I really feel like I need to be on the such-and-such trip. Usually it was Flint or Philippines. And, uh, and I responded with excitement. Fantastic. I'm going to be on one of those trips with you as well. Now, the, here's where we present ourselves as a blank check. A blank check is when we go ahead and fill out the application, even if we don't have figured out how, you know, where the money's going to come from, the time off is going to come. But we say what? This is how God used me. However you want this to work out, use me. You want me to be in Flint? I want to go to Flint. You want me to be in the Philippines? I want to go. Seems crazy. <laughs> To be, right, to load up for 10 days and go half a world away, as expensive as the trip is, that's not the way the world thinks, right? The world would look at you and go, Flint, Michigan on spring break? Why not Padre? Like, Flint, Michigan is the last place you want to spend your spring break. And the people of God say, what? Blank check, God, you spend me. If that's where you want me to go, I'll have more joy the five, six days I'm in Flint, Michigan, right? Serving, painting, meeting people, shoveling snow, whatever it is, God, that you want to do in my life, I have more joy in that than I ever would have on the beach, right? With the umbrella, in the, in the chair, listening to the ocean. Is that enjoyable? Absolutely. Absolutely, it's enjoyable. But more joy is had when you are in the will of God and you present yourself as the living sacrifice saying, God, spend me how you will. Spend me how you will. And so here's my encouragement to us. Um, my hope for us in a sermon like today is that, that there would be a shift forward in our thinking as a whole congregation. Whereas we've, we've, we're moving from, okay, if I truly believe this, I'll confess it. I'll, I'll say something. I'll stand and sing. 
I'll talk to people about my faith. Now I'm hoping what God will do with this, and my prayer for us today is that as a church, we'll shift now to become those who are willing to step forward in faith. Say, okay, I'm, I'm willing to do now. You know, that's the primary role of our staff here, to equip you to do the will of God, Ephesians 4. God wants to use you in his kingdom. It's the way he's designed it to work. My prayer for you is that if that's today, maybe that's for you. You say, okay, I'm ready, I'm ready to step forward. I'm ready to step forward to be used by God. I'm gonna pray that you'll do that today. There's a couple of questions of reflection as we wrap up here. I'm gonna make these personal and I'll let them land on you however they land on you, okay? So if it doesn't apply to you, just don't, don't even worry about it. So when it comes to my relationship with God, I have to ask myself this question, okay? Is my obedience driven by the joy I have in his mercy or by a fear of not being accepted? My obedience to God on a personal level, do I find that it's more driven by the joy I have from how good he is or my fear that he won't accept me? That's what it means to... to, to, to view these things in mercy, have to be fueled by the mercy of God in our lives. Here's another question that, that I think we need to ask of ourselves. Have I truly come to the point in my faith journey where I have willingly laid my life down on the table as a blank check before God? Is that scary? Yes. It's a scary thing to do. What compels us to do it anyway? We believe. Have I done that? Have I gotten to the place where I've truly laid my life down as a blank check? Does my faith and action back up what comes out of my mouth in worship? Maybe that's where the Lord landed with you today. Do I really believe what I'm singing here? And this last question, do I find myself as a person who seeks God's will for my life so that I will know the options? Or do I seek God's will for my life because I consider it to be the only option. Two different questions. Have I come to the place where I've said, I'm not interested in the options, I just want to know your will. I'm already surrendered before I even know it. I'm going to let those questions of reflection land on us today. I'm going to pray for us, have our worship team come back up, and I hope that you will respond as the Holy Spirit guides you today. Um, as always, um, we're going to have prayer partners available in the room. If you're new here, we will have a, a couple of folks down at the front, a couple at the back. They'll have lanyards on that say prayer team. These people are here and ready to pray with you for anything going on, okay? Um, the front would be open if you'd like to come. Some like to come kneel and pray, and it's open to do that during our songs. Um, we also have our prayer and counseling rooms. There's three of them over here on the side. You can go into those by yourself. You could grab a prayer partner. You could grab an elder. Those are open and available. I'm going to pray that we'll respond now as the Holy Spirit guides and directs us. Uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you for, first of all, God, the mercy that you've washed over our lives with. God, the richness of your goodness to us. The way, God, you have accepted us, you have made us holy, and God, now the way that our faith in you is beginning to compel us forward, we're so thankful, God, 
And now the challenge today is to offer our lives as living sacrifices. And God, this is rooted in two things. One, you are trustworthy. And two, you are good. So God, we do that today. We say to you, here I am, God. Spend me how you will. I trust you. And I trust that you're good. Father, come move among us now. Finish the work that you started. We pray in Jesus' powerful name.